What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed listening to Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99 on Luminary. Now continuing with our 99 theme, I wanted to let you guys know we've got all new episodes of The Rewatchables 1999 starting back up right now. Since we've returned, we have rewatched Eyes Wide Shut and Election, and up next is Never Been Kissed and many more 1999 classics. So make sure to check out The Rewatchables 1999 on Luminary. Yo, 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 Ringer FC. This is Donnie Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer. I'm joined, as always, by my main man, Micah Peters. What's up, Micah? Yeah, I like to golf, but I also, I'm still a world-class striker. Excellent. Also joining us, you heard him on the Prem Points Pool episode, playing the O'Hanlon role, Connor Nevins. What's up, Connor? How you doing, Donnie? I'm doing great. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the return of the Champions League, the Manchester City mini-crisis, Chelsea's youth movement, and the perils of playing it out from the back were to Socrates. Before we get into the Champions League, though, guys, I just bought PES Pro Evolution Soccer 2020. It's actually called eFootball PES 2020, kind of an unwieldy name. Uh, Micah, <laughs> I know, and people can look up the fact that you play FIFA poorly because well, we played each other. Well, I thought that you had to end up doing the shiggy in front of a fountain because you lost. Oh, actually, yeah, people don't look it up. Yeah, Connor, look, yeah, you, look it up. No, look it up. Connor, are you a FIFA head, a PES head? I'm a fi- I played FIFA. I'm, uh, I'm, I haven't done it in a while. I think manager mode took too many years uh, away from my <laughs> life, but but I am uh, I am a fan. Did you say so f- eFootball 2019? That even sounds <laughs> wait, no, like wait, chill. Some... It's called eFootball PES 2020. They added eFootball, I think, just to ride on the eSports wave. Okay. But in any event. Do they have licensing <laughs> for the teams this year or no? I'll, I'll get into that. So FIFA 2020 or FIFA 20 comes out September 27th. So like uh, nine days from today. So I couldn't really wait for it. You know, I'm an old fan of winning 11, uh, which it was, which PES used to be called. I, but I haven't bought it in years. And I finally, because I couldn't, I was impatient for FIFA. I bought eFootball PES 2020. And I like it. I mean, I think most of the complaints about the PES series remain true, which is the lack of licenses, uh, the shitty menus, Mercy fact- side blue. So what's good? What what do we? What do you like about it? Yeah. Okay. So what I yeah, let's get to the point here. What I really like about it is, I think the goals now in FIFA, even when you play on the hardest level, are not easy to score, but they're kind of cheap. And I think one of the main pros of PES over the years is that it's kind of difficult to score and to score you really do need to build up play or have like a perfectly executed counterattack. so for that reason when you score in PES it actually feels you know well earned or hard earned I should say and it's more satisfying so the gameplay itself it's a little bit slower and in fact you can slow the speed down in the settings too because I read that some people put it on negative one or negative two to make it even more realistic but I really was impressed by the gameplay. So despite, despite the lack of licenses, now again, the te- most of the teams in the Premier League aren't licensed, but they have the player names at least. Despite that, I think it's a really fun game to play if you love football. Did I sell you guys or what? What's your team then? 
Who's I've team? just been yeah. using Arsenal. And in fact, Arsenal is one of the licensed teams. Juventus is licensed. Manchester United is licensed. But, you know, most of the teams aren't. Yeah. Look at the scoring. My last-minute Champions League final winner with Iden Zazar from <laughs> MD White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have... Actually, PS had the Champions League license for a while, and they lost it to FIFA. So FIFA's coming out soon. Everyone's going to buy FIFA. People usually play online with FIFA. But give PS a try if you have $60 laying around. Uh, Konami, come sponsor us. All right, let's get into the Champions League, speaking of. You know, first round of matches in the group stage happened over the last two days. We just watched... Well, Connor, you watched PSG 3-0 over Madrid. I saw a lot of Madrid fans saying that was one of their, on Twitter at least, their, their worst performances, if not this season, of multiple European seasons. Uh, what did you make of it? It wasn't good, Donnie. It wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, it, I was excited about it because there's just so many bad matchups in the group stages. I mean, I think we're all kind of on the ban the, ban the group stages and go straight to the knockout stages. But this one was one that I was really wanted to watch. And, I mean, PSG didn't have Cavani, didn't have Mbappe, no, no Neymar, obviously. You know, Icardi started up top, and then you had uh, you had Angel, Angel Di Maria, and they just they just bossed them. I mean, really from start to finish, there was uh, you know Di Maria scored twice in the first half, almost made a game out of it because I think the only player that could really kind of carry themselves with any distinction would have been Gareth Bale, who was playing with this kind of strange, just kind of rage fueled intensity in the beginning where he was just ripping at every chance he had. I thought I thought you were gonna say strange hairstyle and I was like, yeah, that's his normal hairstyle. Well yeah, I mean like it's just like he's got this point, yeah. He's got the Manchu warrior bun covering up the bald spot. So like it's (laughs) it's the way it's the way it rolls. Probably the highlight of the match was a disallowed goal by Bale. Um he collected it, juggled to himself a couple of times and then hit just a looping volley into the top corner. It was uh disallowed on VAR. Yeah, that was a good VAR. It, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it was the right decision, but it was also just, it, I, it was a goal that deserved to live. I mean, like, I agree with Rory Smith's assessment of the situation, which is that Anthony Taylor owes me some emotions because <laughs> after after he hit that full volley into the into the top left corner and turns around and yeah, great arms selling. outstretched, just like, yes, I'm still here. <laughs> I didn't go to China and I'm still doing it for y'all motherfuckers. Side-eyeing Zizou yeah. on the, on the touchline. Well, without making it too much about Madrid— it, there was something about watching Bale where he was just playing. I mean, he was playing angry. And there yeah, was, was a moment. Possessed. Yeah. And there was a moment where I, I don't know if this is just some kind of, you know, just long mind game of, of Zidane to kind of get into his head and just kind of have him play that way because he's clearly the most talented player. He's clearly, I mean, until Hazard gets up to speed, obviously, and we can get to that. He was, he's not yet anywhere near game shape. But, I mean, he's the most dangerous option that they have. And, <laughs> I wonder if they have reconciled and if, if Zidane has kind of decided that out of necessity he's going to have to rely on him because he really is the only thing that even looks really close to kind of giving you a, a consistent goal threat. You know, a lot of uh, Premier League fans who haven't been following La Liga, it was their first chance to see Eden Hazard uh, from Madrid. He was pretty anonymous. He was. He was. I mean, he's he's not, you know, I think in fairness to him, he's he, he had a pretty good chance in the the opening minutes where he he kind of caught the ball at the, the top of the box. He's not he's not in game shape. He won't be there. I mean, you could see the movement and you can see the ways in which, you know, little glimpses of maybe how a front three of Bale, Benzema, Hazard, which is the movement between them and the ability to to kind of uh, interplay with, amongst each other. But the biggest thing for Madrid, honestly, was just they got completely and utterly overrun in midfield. I, I don't yeah. actually think Tony Cruz might not have actually played. I mean, we, 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 can, we can check the stats on that. He was just... I don't even remember him actually having a meaningful touch. You know, James Rodriguez played. He, he just never really got the ball in anything 
you never want him playing too much defense, but you know, it, it, it was it was a lot to ask of him. I think Casemiro, especially in the first half, spent most of his time clearing down Di Maria and, and Juan Bernat in the flanks. It was just there was no, there was just completely overrun, um, and and it was, and again, I, I think probably the biggest credit in the game has to go to Di Maria, and and I. I I don't watch him as much as I'd like to because I think I was always a fan of him. But when he is on and he just has the ball at his feet and he's twisting and turning and meandering through tight spaces around the box, he really is a magical player to watch. And second goal especially was just a great goal and had an opportunity towards the end to make it a hat trick, got a little cute and tried to dink it over the top. But but saw that clearly, clearly kind of the, the man of the match for PSG. And maybe that's a function of just him taking on a little more responsibility with Neymar and Mbappe and Cavani out. But it seems like he's always been... He's always been a pretty good, you know. He always turns yeah. up in those big matches. Um, and as they said, they always he always punishes his old teams. He does. The, <laughs> he does. Some of that too. Yeah, Micah, you were looking in on uh, the other Madrid team, Atletico. They came back from a two 0 deficit. They two two with Juve. They did grind their way back. Of, you might have seen me tweet and delete a take about like, does Atletico Madrid leave, lead Europe's top five leagues in grit muscles? Just because like the goals. <laughs> First, the header on the goal line from Stefan Savic in the 70th minute. Uh, flicked over from Jimenez on the corner of the box after he just mauled uh, De Nio. <laughs> um, and then Savic also got like a, a strong forearm to the face as he was heading that in. And then like, you know, just popped right back up and roared back to the center circle. And then, like, at the very end, uh, Hector Herrera's header in the 90th minute. I mean, like, it was it was just, it was ugly and, like, kind of... Scrappy. Uh, yes, it was a scrappy, it was a scrappy game. Uh, save for, like, Juan Cadrado's goal in the in the 48th minute, right, right after the restart, which yeah, was... Beautiful. Gorgeous. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. I mean, at the very, very end, Piers Morgan's BFF, Ronaldo, almost scored the winner. It was, like, a mazy little run. It was just wide. Yeah, he's washed now. Three years ago, <laughs> he would have finished that. Of course, a lot of the talk coming out of the weekend was that Saturday's tremendous upset at Carroll Road, Norwich City, 3-2 over Manchester City. Some of the defensive frailties were exposed there. This was before Stones got injured. Uh, it was a result that really shocked people. Uh, were you guys as shocked as everybody else? And does it kind of show some underlying weakness here with uh, City, who are now five points behind Liverpool in second place? Yeah, I think most of the discussion after the game was over kind of revolved about whether City had made a mistake in the offseason by not replacing Vincent Company. Um, now, especially with Amrik Laporte out for the next six months, um, John Stones and uh, Nicholas Odomenti did a had a had a mare <laughs> against against Norwich. Um, I think it was more so like, is this a blip? like on the way to City probably comfortably winning another title? Or is this, you know, kind of a symptom of a larger problem of the fact that they didn't replace Vincent Company? So Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think it, it goes to show how much they've come to rely on Laporte, um, even after letting Company walk. Uh, I actually would be really interested to know if after that Norwich game, if Pep Guardiola would have started Fernandinho in the back over John Stones had John Stones not gotten injured because he was so bad in that game. And so clearly hasn't improved under Guardiola that I wonder if he would have made that switch had it not been forced, his hand been forced by injury. Yeah, Pep is saying, you know, as we mentioned, Fernandinho started at center back today with Otamendi. Pep said that 
Eric Garcia and Taylor Bellis will be filling in this month. Uh, those two teenagers, uh, Garcia is 18, Bellis is 17. So we'll see. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about City and, and when we get into our playing it from the back uh, discussion in a little bit. I think you're more likely to see company kind of make a return to City at some point in the January transfer window than, than you yeah, are to see Yeah, having it's, some issues at Anderlecht, I hear. Yeah, it like, almost just <laughs> seems like that makes too much sense to not happen. I think he gave up the manager part of his player-manager role a month into the season. It's not going yeah. great. It's not it's, going yeah. great. Elsewhere, bad night for Liverpool in Napoli, in Naples. Uh, they lost 2-0. Uh, Dries Merton uh, scored a penalty. And then Lorente. Got his revenge for Spurs, I guess, in stoppage time off a Virgil van Dyke terrible pass. Um, oh, you FIFA got World Player of the Year, Virgil. I'm sorry. That was, <laughs> it's also, that it's also be... just great. Let's not underestimate how great it is to see Llorente just scoring goals. Yeah. Stoppage time goals in the Champions League again. It's Actually, I heard a lot of discussion that I don't know if you guys watched the game or the highlights that the penalty that Napoli won. It was uh, weak. That, yeah. It, it was, was weak, but it seemed to me a pretty clear penalty. I mean, it, it was. It was Kind of similar to the to David Luiz and the Watch. I was thinking where, that, mm-hmm. where you know he's just coming across his body and and he's he kind of gave himself up. So once you do that, I mean you're inviting. Yeah, you leave your leg out, you're going to get punished. Um, I'm sure you guys saw Red Bull, Red Bull Salzburg six two over Genk, and our new hero Erling Brat Horland. Is that is that First, the official pronunciation? Is that- <laughs> I'm going with it. I'm going with it. I should let everybody know we get. We get chastised a lot for mispronouncing names, and rightfully so. But UEFA did release a very helpful pronunciation guide uh, pr- before the Champions League. They're spelling it. His name is spelled H A L A N D. They're spelling the pronunciation guide H O R Land. So I'm guessing that's Horland. Of course, his father, uh, you will remember, Roy Keane destroyed after actually he tackled Roy Keane and injured him and stood over him, and then Roy Keane just basically ended his career. Well, it's kind of should we should we do a bit of. Should we should we double click on that just a little bit because yeah, it was ahead. more like Roy Keane kicked across uh, Alfin Gorlin when he was playing for Leeds in 1997. Like the ball had already like run out, and it was just kind of an unfortunate thing. And then Holland like stood over him for faking an injury, and then it was just like according to Keane's autobiography, like he just kind of carried that around for three years until. <laughs> Hoyland was coming off the bench for City in like 2000, and that was when Keane did the the full stamp on his. Yeah, leg look at it. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah, crazy. Or, a whole or lot. So anyway, basically, what it is is that like we are saying that it is a extreme surprise that Hoyland's son is just you know scoring hat tricks at will. Yeah, I mean, you guys might remember the name because he had a triple hat trick. He's actually been quoted, the son has been quoted as saying it's his dream to win the Premier League with Leeds. So Bielsa Holler. Uh, he's 19, 6'3", um, technically great. I mean, you got to imagine clubs will be lining up within the next, probably already, uh, for his signature. All right, and Dortmund and Barca, did you guys watch that one, a nil-nil draw? Um, I started watching it, and then I got very bored and started doing something else. Yeah, it um, started really strong, and it was exciting and back and forth, and then it kind of faded away. Uh, Jaden Sancho, as always, caught the eye for Dortmund. Uh, a lot of talk going into this game about the new wonderkind for Barcelona, 16-year-old Ansu Fati, who is 16 years old. It's unbelievable. Every time I see him or hear about him, the Jay-Z, he's 16. 
I don't know, from the Hot 97 freestyle. <laughs> wow. Goes into my mind. Kind of an obscure hip-hop reference. But uh, Connor, I know you were watching him a little bit. Uh, what, what's your take on Fatih? I caught him a little bit. I actually watched him uh, this past Saturday in the Valencia game. Uh, he's, you know, he moved to Spain when he was, when he was nine years old. Uh, he started off in the Sevilla Academy and then go, before going to Barcelona and, and joining the La Masia Academy. You know, he's, he plays like he's probably five, six years older than he is. He's a winger. He's a wide player. I mean, really good feet gets into the box. It seems like he's got, he's almost two-footed. You know, it's hard, it's kind of tough to say that for someone so young, but he became Barca's youngest ever goal scorer this, uh, earlier this season. He assisted, uh, found Frankie de Jong in a, for a goal in the 5-2 win over Valencia. Had one play where he was just kind of, you know, had his back to the defender and kind of plicked it up over his head where you can tell, you can see the confidence starting to come in a little bit too. And it's, 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 you know, as as it relates to Barca, you know, Suarez uh, was injured for the beginning of the year, although he did come back in that Valencia game and scored a couple of great goals. Dembele and Messi have been out. They didn't obviously didn't get Neymar in the transfer window, so there was an opportunity for them to kind of to insert someone in there and just take a flyer in the in the opening games. And he's, I mean, he's taking his chance. It's just wild. Obviously, still 16, and those guys will be coming back. But I think for a, for a team like Barcelona too, it's it's important to have those kinds of players that come from the academy. I mean, I know it's sometimes it's almost cliche to talk about La Masia, but it is important to the to the cultural fabric of a, of a club like that. And it's been a long time since they've really, you know, they've really had someone go in there and kind of excite, um, you know, excite the team uh, in that way. So, I, I, you know, if you have not seen him, you will be seeing more of him. He's, he's a really, really exciting dude. Yeah, and so Fatih is actually eligible for three countries. Uh, he's from Guinea-Bissau. That's where he was born. Uh, I think he could represent Portugal. And I'm reading now that he's set to join the Spanish national team, the U-17s, uh, I guess which wouldn't necessarily, which wouldn't affect his, his who he represents on the senior level. But the U-17 World Cup's coming up in late October, and apparently he's headed there. We'll miss at least seven games, but that'll be good for him too, I guess, uh, for his maturation process. So keep an eye on Fatih. Finally, Group H, Valencia, the aforementioned 1-0 over Chelsea. Great moment. Caught. <laughs> uh, uh, which uh, was Ross Barkley. Paint the picture. Paint yes. the picture, yeah. please. Okay, so Valencia went up 1-0. Late, late goal, I think 70-something minute by Rodrigo. And then uh, Chelsea won a penalty. Ross Barkley, who was a sub, very confidently picked up the ball, patted his chest as uh, senior players like Willian and Jorginho were, you know, they wanted to take the penalty, but Ross picked up the ball, put it on the spot, and said, you know, I got it. I got it. And no, he didn't got it. The look of incredulity on on William's face. Like, he kind of checked with him a couple of times. He was just kind of like, you sure? What is it? Was, would it are, yeah, I guess incredulity is like probably the right word for maybe, that. Yeah, just maybe maybe that's just being like, polite. Yeah, yeah he's just, because really the way that I read it, like, I mean, there's a very good, uh, like, close-up clip that was on the BR football Twitter account that just shows the entire process. And it's just like, William, it's just kind of like checking, double-checking, triple-checking. And, and this face is just like, shit, man, I guess. like. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you almost imagine him being like, check the tape. Like, look up look up William set pieces. <laughs> oh, Ross man. Barkley, I, he had the I got it confidence of like Kirk Cousins in the huddle of a fourth-quarter drive. Like one of those, like, I don't believe you, bro. Anyway, I mean, he hit it hard. He hit it confidently. He just missed. He he kicked the ball. He did. He did do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he really put his laces on it. That was um, 
Good for him. Good, good, so, good follow through there. Not for the first time this season with the Premier League team, we have a who's the penalty taker discussion. Of course, we had the whole Rashford Pogba, Pogba thing. So after the match, I, I was interested to see this quote and hear this quote from Frank Lampard, Chelsea manager. He said, quote, Ross is the penalty taker. He was in preseason, scored a couple. He has been when he started. He was when he came on today and he missed it. That's the story. That's the clear story. I don't know what the conversation was, but Jorginho and Willian were the takers on the pitch. When Ross comes on, he becomes the penalty taker, which really makes no fucking sense to me. Which, but, yeah. I mean, the follow-up question, why? <laughs> yeah, like, since in, in, what, in what world has, has Ross Buckley earned the opportunity I mean, to like, call okay, off? This is, this, is, this is, okay, let's reformat Lampard's logic here to make this make sense. Yeah, okay, go ahead. If, try it. Okay, Ross is the penalty taker. No problem with that. He was in preseason and scored a couple. Yeah. Okay, if you are subbing on to if you're subbing on in the in the late like in the late stages of a game in which your team is losing and there are already two penalty takers on the pitch, you better score every single time you take (laughs) a penalty if you're gonna pick up the ball and put it down. Like you can't step onto the pitch the penalty taker unless you make your penalties 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Frank's defense, um, surely, and same with uh, Ole, like uh, with the Pogba-Rashford thing, I think he's defending his player. And, I, you know, I read Williams' quotes and, and Ross's quotes after they said all the right things. Williams said, we win as a team, we lose as a team. I could have missed it, uh, you know, charitable. Because William is a is a consummate professional. The world will we'll be crumbling down all around us and he'll still be putting in six and sevens out of ten. <laughs> Connor, did you see Arsenal legend Frankie Cochlin take out Mason Mount in like the 20th yeah, minute? Yeah, that was, that was savage. Um, yeah, it was really savage. I saw that Cochlin, the word, because I didn't watch the whole match, it was trending on Twitter. And so I clicked on it and I saw a still of the tackle, not knowing that Mason Mount was actually injured and had to leave the game. So I just posted it in Slack with the word Frankie exclamation point. But I instantly felt bad when I found out that he actually injured his ankle. It was a it was a bad tackle. It wasn't a malicious tackle. It was like an over the ball, you know, bad touch. I mean it's like it sums up Frankie in one play. Like it's a terrible touch. And then he left his leg out and he and he caught his ankle. So Yeah, well, I mean, you know. I, I guess one way to open a pickle jar is to use a hammer. Like, sure. <laughs> I like it's it's. All I'm saying is that if I like, I would like if if I could stand, I would want to fight after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good segue now. Perfect segue into our soundbite of the week, and we're going to talk a little bit about Chelsea's youth movement. You know, um, to come here is never easy. Easy place to come and get points. Um, we did that today. Uh, I'm glad to also get a hat trick today. So um, yeah, we're delighted. We're the last people off the pitch today, you know, we're discussing and said we've actually scored, all scored in the same game for Chelsea, you know, and we've dreamt of it since little boys and we've made it happen. Hopefully it continues for the rest of the season. Tammy Abraham, gentlemen, you guys saw his hat trick over the weekend against Wolves? Mm-hmm. Basically, all this was the Tammy Abraham since, uh, you know, coming back from from loan after playing in the championship last season has been scoring i mean like at a at a reasonable clip stepping up right when chelsea need a striker because they have none aside from Tammy Abram who's you know doing a good job of filling the role but he's been kind of doing it against teams that aren't really that good or or also newly promoted um so it's good that he got this hat trick against wolves i mean like i think that He's been drawing a couple of unfair comparisons to Harry Kane when he came from Leighton Orient. 
and, you know, like had that run in his uh, 22-year-old season where he just was scoring at will. And, I mean, like, that doesn't seem like it's out of the question. I mean, like, it's the poise with which Tammy Abraham does everything that is, like, the thing that's most encouraging about it. It's not like he's just kind of scrounging these goals up. Like, he's making a nuisance of himself behind back lines. I I think, um, say, for instance, the second goal against Sheffield United when he was basically drifting off of the last defender who flicked it onto the keeper and he just kind of darted around. And I mean, like those are like very heads up plays. Confidence is a hell of a drug. Yeah. And you saw that in the third goal he took against Wolves where, you know, he just got his body. I mean, he had a little bit of a lucky touch, got his body position right, took a touch and just knew exactly what he had diagnosed the the box. He, you know, diagnosed the entire play the moment he got the ball. And he's, you know, he's 6'3". He's big. You know, he still seems like he's kind of grown into his body a little bit. Um, he's always he's always been a worker. He's always kind of worked hard and kind of got made, like you said, made a nuisance of himself. But he's learning how to kind of bully. Like his technique is also incredible. Like I mean, like it's his ability to shape his body up, despite the fact that he seems like so gangly. Like yeah. it's yeah. it's, a, it, it's a player that's hard not to root for when you you know you heard the soundbite. He's he's really it's been his dream to play for Chelsea. It's funny because I was. After the United match, that, that you know, the first match of the season where they lost 4-0 and he was pretty terrible, I was joking with our colleague Shaka Saman that they have <laughs> a, a Yaya Sanogo situation. Because, you know, Yaya Sanogo, of course, the Arsenal striker who flamed out rather who quickly. Can, who can forget? <laughs> so, you know, Abraham kind of had that look to me of that, like you're saying, ungainly giraffe on ice skates look and that maybe he wasn't ready for this level. But... Now, like a stallion with skates he, on. Now he reminds me of another Arsenal striker, which is Emmanuel Adebayor, a prime Adebayor, in that he can do every. He he seems to like kind of glide on the pitch, and uh, he's very graceful. So, so anyway, this is all uh, about Chelsea's youth movement and the fact that you know for so long it's been kind of like oligarch money and all these you know hired guns, and and with Lampert now, you know an off-sided stat is that all 11 goals this year, of course, seven of them by Abraham, have been scored by U21 England internationals. Tamore scored against Wolves. Mason Mount has been kind of, you know, hopefully gets, get, it's before their, he was injured, was like the breakthrough best player. player of the yeah. season. Yeah. So, you know, it, it in a way, it's the transfer ban. Um, it's hard, to, it's, trans- hard, it's hard to give too much credit to, because like, you yeah, know. I mean, like it's also, <laughs> but in a way, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. hard to give too much credit about there being a transfer ban or whatever, but the thing is, is that like, I think Connor was saying it's hard to give, what, what were you saying? Well, I was going to say to Chelsea too, because I mean, as, as Micah was talking about Tammy Abraham, I'm thinking, well, where would he be playing right now had they not had a transfer ban? Yeah, but I think also it's important to, to acknowledge the fact that like, uh, it's, it's like Pulisic, yeah. Well, I mean, like also Pulisic is on the bench. Willian is on the bench. Mm-hmm. People that they paid like you know tens of millions of dollars for are on the bench. They're available to yeah. pick, but he's consistent. He's going with these younger players because, as he said, I won't consider age when I pick the team. I don't consider it. They have shown confidence. They've shown personality there in the group. So that's easy. That's put on the side now. I'll just pick on merit. And, and, and we're not he, even and, talking and about. He, and then he coughed and said, "As long as they're English." <laughs> well, then we're not even talking about you know the best one or probably two of the best ones because Kellen Hasimadoy is still injured, uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek is injured. So I mean, hopefully you get those guys back, and you know I think they just re-upped uh, Reese James as well. Yeah, they could field yes. a whole England at least U twenty three team. Yeah. So the stat also is that they've given more minutes to under twenty one English players in their 
opening few games of the season than the entirety of any other season since 2005, which was like around, uh, I think it was 2003 actually that the oligarch money came in. So, you know, Chelsea has become kind of a feel-good story. It's early in the season and that feel-good story could turn feel-bad really quickly. But uh, for now, I mean, we don't have any Chelsea fans on the pod today, but I'm sure that they're happy about how things are going. Tammy Abraham actually did say when asked because he doesn't have any competitive senior caps for England, if he would consider representing Nigeria, which uh, his parents are of Nigerian descent, and he said, never say never. So maybe once he represents a Nigeria team, Lamper will take him out of the lineup. <laughs> Sunday, Chelsea play Liverpool. Liverpool, uh, of course, are on a 14-game winning streak. They won 3-1 over Newcastle over the weekend. Uh, do you guys think Chelsea have a shot here against Liverpool? Because if Chelsea do beat Liverpool or even get a result, I think uh, even more, you know, there'll be even more good feeling around this young squad. Oh, actually, maybe we should talk about Pul- Pulisic real quick because it's actually his birthday today. So happy birthday, Christian. Uh, I saw Grant Wall tweet that uh, the U.S. national team sent Pulisic home early uh, to join Chelsea for the last couple of games. And he didn't even make it off the bench for either of them. Unused substitute. Should we be concerned about that? Or if you're a Pulisic fan, I guess. Well, uh, I mean, like, he's... Because Mount got injured and they replaced him with Pedro. Or Lampard replaced him with Pedro, so. Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just too early to I call that. I try not to look too yeah, much into that. I, I mean, he's just a... He's a first-team player, and, I mean, he's 22 and also playing in the Premier League for the first time. And yeah, I mean, like he's, what, uh, out of the five games that Chelsea have played in the league. um, He has an assist, I think. He has an assist, yeah. I mean, he hasn't found the back of the net yet, but I mean, like it's... it's, He did have that one goal called back, I remember. I think think Lampard's still... I think it's just slow going. You know, figuring out his best 11-2. And I think the whole Jorginho-Conte partnership, who plays where in the center of the midfield, he he could be... um, he might be he might be a byproduct of, of that victim of that a little bit too. I, I I don't know. I don't tend to look too much into those when you come back from international duty. Um, you know, those it's I, I think so, I think he'll be fine. Is the so Grant leader. is just stirring up the pot, is what you're saying? Well, yeah. No, I mean, like, a statement. I, I mean, it's a you know, it's a fact. They let him they let him go home earlier. Was it the intention of you know making him available for the team? And you know, he was available for the team, and he didn't play. Yeah, I mean, like Lampard said that the the way we're playing with Pedro's experience in the Champions League, it was a choice to make. But you know, Christian is well in the plans, is what he is part that you're supposed to place some emphasis on. Right. But I mean, like, who knows what that actually means, but I still think that it's just too early to start worrying about it. Yeah, and one would imagine with Mount's injury, possibly Pulisic can play some of that. You know, like well, you would hope. That would more, be down the the, more down the middle, I guess, instead of it yeah. on the wing. But he's done that before. He does that for the national team. Uh, so Chelsea-Liverpool, um, you guys have any predictions? I think Liverpool wins. Because uh, I, I did watch the Liverpool Napoli game, and Liverpool played. They played well. well. They they yeah. played pretty well. They just couldn't finish. Yeah, I mean the, the yeah. penalty was kind of soft, and I think the you know the giveaway from Van Dijk at the end. I mean the two goals were were ones that they can look at and just kind of chalk up to just you know circumstance. Um, they they had especially in the second half they were growing into that game and they were getting they were getting what they wanted. Um, you know they had a few opportunities with Salah and Mane getting played in behind, and I, I don't I don't anticipate that being. Uh, that there being a hangover from that, I, I just think that they're still, you know, they are the best team in the league right now, and I, it's going to take a lot to, for a team to overtake them. 
Michael, you have anything to add to that? Um, I will just say that Liverpool are kind of, despite the fact that they 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 dropped that they game to Napoli in the group stage of Champions League, I still think that Liverpool are kind of like already in like mid-season to March form, yeah. like and just seem like they're going to grate a one or one o two one win out of it. Even though I feel like that Chelsea on the upward trend right now is going to give them a couple playing, problems. Yeah, Lampard's been playing three at the back and it's worked for them the last couple of games and it's given them a nice shape, but it's just one where you really do just worry when you try to do that. I wonder if you try to do that. I mean, like, because you're, you're doing that again. Like, as I mean, like, it's it's working for the teams that you've been playing against, but you haven't played maybe the the best striking front three in Europe at the moment. Best fullbacks. It's just... Yeah, it's it's going to be... I, I think that Liverpool wins, although I think it's probably going to be a little bumpier than you might ordinarily expect. It, it could be one of those kind of drunk games that gets 4-2, you know, but Liverpool is always kind of firmly in hand. I think there'll be goals. That's where losing Mount really hurts. I mean, I don't know how severe his injury is if, if he's even contention to play on Sunday. But Napoli did expose a little bit of Chelsea, of Liverpool, sorry, his weakness, if you can call it a weakness, in that getting behind their fullbacks, uh, it's possible to, um, you know, play out wide uh, because they're so aggressive and find space there. And And with Mount kind of, you know, controlling play in the middle and sending the ball out wide, I think potentially maybe Pulisic can uh, be a factor. All right, uh, now we're on to our main talking point, which is, I mean, I guess we have to talk about kind of the <laughs> Arsenal-Watford match, but it's about playing it out from the back. Now, it's a big big talking point this season because, of course, there's a new rule in which goal kicks can be played in the box. Uh, you know, previously, you had to, the goalkeeper had to kick it out of the box, um, and now they can just play it, roll it to the defender who's in the box, and the opponents have to stay outside of the box until the ball is played. But you're seeing the strategy now where many since playing it out from the back, even before this rule was implemented, was sort of on trend with Klopp and Guardiola. Uh, you're seeing a lot of teams, even you know not top teams, using the strategy. You saw Norwich use it actually against Manchester City, uh, patiently building with passing uh, from the back. But you've seen it also backfire quite frequently, um, and you saw it most notably over the weekend with Socrates passing it directly to an opposing player. Uh, Otamendi fell asleep. I mean, that actually wasn't straight from a goal kick, but, um, you know, teams are pressing now because they're anticipating uh, people playing it from the back and, and they're causing turnovers and havoc and unforced errors or forced errors. And so that plan is backfiring a little bit um, as the trend has become more widespread and predictable. So I guess I'll pose to you, Connor, maybe you could talk about the Arsenal situation first, but, you know, what's your take on you know, this new trend? I, I, I love the rule change. I mean, I can just start f- from there too because you always had that very awkward situation where teams, as teams were trying to play from the back, you'd be pinning the defender to the line and there'd just be this kind of rush where the attacker was closing in on him. He was waiting for the ball to come to him. And I just think just eliminating, you know, that confusion and, and, and eliminating that that space uh, made a lot of sense. I think there's, there's, a, there's two ways to kind of – the best way to answer the question is that it's fine to be dogmatic in your approach. And Guardiola has been very clear that this is the way he wants to play. I mean he dropped Joe Hart because Joe Hart didn't fall into his, line, fall into his vision of what a goalkeeper needed to do to be able to play that way. Um, you, have to, you have to marry your approach to your personnel. 
And this is just kind of where I get really frustrated with the Arsenal example. Because um, the Otamendi, it, 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 that one, those are going to happen. You know, I mean, that's one where he's sitting there. First of all, he's got his back to the entire field. So he's basically facing five feet of the field, which is just, you know, you can't do that no matter where you are in the field. Uh, clearly, the communication wasn't there. I mean, that's a fluky thing where over the course of the season, City are going to create so many more goal-scoring opportunities by virtue of playing that way than they're going to give up goals like that. With Arsenal, they do not have the personnel <laughs> to play that way. And, yeah. and you, you look at, you know, the, the, they have, they've conceded the most shots on goal and they have this, you know, they're playing probably backups at each fullback position, right, in mm-hmm. terms of what they're doing. The, the center-back pairing is not in any, anyone's vision of what it's supposed to be moving forward. Um, so it's fine to, to try that approach, but, you know, you have to also have some kind of situational recognition too where when you watch like a, a, a slow, if you shut down and get a screen grab of that Watford, of that goal, you basically have three Watford defenders just pinned on either side of the box waiting for that ball to go to Socrates. And there has to be some kind of situational awareness where it's if you have kind of absorbed that much pressure up the field, there have to be a more shallow option in your own midfield to be able to play that ball. Now, whether or not Leno can play that ball is is another question entirely. But I think that's just a long way of saying that I am all for being dogmatic in your approach if you are dedicated to a way of playing and you have the personnel to play that way. If you are dogmatic and trying to kind of put square pegs in round holes, then you're going to have a situation like the Watford game where, I mean, it was really, it was, it was, it was comical. It was farcical. But I mean, isn't it true though, also that even if you don't have the personnel necessarily to carry it out, that there are, these are kind of just the growing pains of implementing new tactics? Well, sure. But I mean, the thing is, is that the playing it out from the back ethos is contingent like on a number of things. Like the style of play requires everybody to be switched on, everybody to have a certain level of ball playing ability. And for the ball taking over to almost be sort of instinct, which makes it so much that it's very easy to slide into doing it on autopilot, which is, you know, how those goal-scoring chances against City, like the one with uh, where Odomendi has that back pass happens. I mean, like, of course, that brings up a whole other host of questions about whether Manchester City is better than Nicholas Odomendi is. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is that, you know, like, that's also just the way that that's the way that City plays, and that's the way that they should play. That's the way that this system has been implemented. They have the players to do that. You don't want to—I mean, like, I think that the the end-all, be-all of it is is that if you don't have players that are comfortable playing that way or can do it on a consistent basis or that it's second nature to, and you don't have everybody, like, on that same level— like on the with the same level of of, uh, of comfort, like passing the ball in that fashion, then I mean it's going to routinely break down. Yeah, you have to kind of know know your players too. I mean, there was just that second half of that Watford Arsenal game. It was kind of like when you used to play play on FIFA and like you'd be you know you'd be losing <laughs> or you'd have, the, you'd have the really high difficulty rating and then at halftime you'd be losing, so you'd kind of jack it up and it would just completely throw the entire game <laughs> off to the point where it wouldn't even really resemble what the actual game was and you would just and it was just like a basketball game but I think some of that comes down to Unai Emery and like what exactly it is that he's trying to what is the idea behind you know his, what he wants his team to do and you know you kind of think back to that Liverpool game where they they were basically just conceded the flanks and said okay we're going to absorb all of the pressure from the flanks we're going to keep the top the front three in front of us where we can see him and we're just going to try to you know clear out crosses from the box and there's kind of a 
you can understand that idea, but it clearly was not, you know, they, it was not a strategy that was going to work in that game. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's similar to that where it's, it's if you have a center back pairing that is pretty shambolic on the ball in terms of playing it out, it's just how can you really afford to dedicate your team um, and, and have these and, and kind of basically have the margins of winning and losing be based on whether or not uh, on those moments. And it's just that's the yeah. part where it's, yeah, you know, you got to. I agree gotta, with you. I agree with you. I mean, I think pragmatism is definitely a thing. And I think also when you see it pulled off by anybody from Norwich City to Manchester City, like it, it, it's, it's always going to be kind of a high wire act. Like any mistake or any misstep can lead to a quick counterattack or a, a mistake um, and, a, and a shot on your own net. It's great for the game. I mean, yeah, however, that said, I, I saw Gary Neville on Sky Sports talking about how it's overall good for entertainment. So he, even if there are mistakes, he he doesn't necessarily find fault in it and in using it as a tactic rather than the pragmatic approach, which is resorting to a long hoof up the pitch, um, you know, as like a plan B. Uh, of course, you know, his job isn't on the line. You know, I've been seeing a lot of Emery outs for the very reasons you've been pointing out, Connor. But I think it's interesting that, you know, we how did the name Fraudiola come about why was there a hashtag clop out? I mean, their systems didn't work immediately. I'm not suggesting that Unai Emery is on their level yet. But I do think that when it was Mohamed Sako and Dejan Lovren and Minule, you know, it wasn't Allison Van Dyke, And, uh, you know, it, the, the personnel was different. They weren't used to it. They still were doing, you know, playing similarly, playing Klopp's philosophy, just not as on high level. But over time, there was turnover. Better players came in. But the players that were stayed were used you know, by that time, we're used to the philosophy with better players around them. So that's my... I can understand. Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree with that. I think it's, it's uh, you can, you're willing to accept, you know, in the long run, the moments like that, but it, uh, it doesn't make them any more maddening. Yeah. Okay, so if I were to ask you which was worse, Socrates passed to, I guess it was, was it to Cleverly? No, Cleverly was the one that finished. It was Delefeu, I think, is who he... The ball rebounded off. Whose boner was worse, Socrates or Otamendi? Socrates. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, it was Socrates just because it was, you know, like a directly played ball to the person, <laughs> whereas like Otamendi just kind of went to sleep and uh, got dispossessed um, yeah. by Emiliano Buendia, who was just. It, like electric in the yeah. three two went over, over actually City. let's get into that as we close the show here we we have a new segment here it's unsponsored <laughs> called the double click double clicking on a performance from the past weekend um and Buendia Micah right so uh Norwich was signed uh Buendia for one and a half million from Getafe uh last year um last summer excuse me and the thing is that like if you started watching championship football, a little bit of championship football like I did, like during the playoff, like during the run-in, right when we were trying to see who was going to be winning promotion, uh, when Dia picked up a red card in April against QPR, I think it was. So, like, it was – you would have missed him. But, like, we were talking a little bit earlier about Ansu Fati, who basically plays with the the savvy and, like, you know, the, the ease and – composure of somebody that's, you know, like 10 years older. Uh, Buendia 
plays more so like somebody who steps onto the field and only understands what they're capable of, not the rules against not like not what the what the what the rules are basically like the tackle in that QPR game is there wasn't like malicious it was more so just kind of like this is a thing that I can do right now to help and like you know ultimately it didn't <laughs> um <laughs> those things that he was doing against city for instance it's just like it wasn't like he was playing against you know the arguable best team in the world it was just like these are people that I am quicker and clever and more clever than in this exact amount of space. Like I think that the clip that was circulating for the most part, um, was after Norwich was already two, one up. Was it, were they already three, one up? No, they were already two, one up. And when D had been called off sides already and was receiving like a lofted ball from, you know, the other side of the field and took a long touch and kind of baited Raheem Sterling in and then flip flapped in the air and went around him. And it was just kind of like one of those things where like Norwich was not only were they winning and beating city and had city like under pressure, they were now showboating, <laughs> which was amazing. Uh, so yeah, uh, Emiliano Buendia. He's a guy you want on your pickup. Yeah. Team. You want to, you want to, you want to be looking out for, yeah, he's definitely a guy that you want on your pickup team. Cause I mean, like you got the, if it's, you know, pressed down and everything, he's going to give you the wild solo effort and and do some crazy step overs and end up, you know, getting those two goals you need in five aside. Yeah, he'll be at the Etihad next season. Connor, who do you have? Uh, Gerard De La Feu. We're sticking in, sticking in with the Watford game. I mean, he, it, in fairness, he probably, not probably, he absolutely should have scored the winner probably five or six times uh, towards the end of that game. Always been a big fan of his. He's got that kind of... Shakiri quality to his game where like you, he'll be invisible for long stretches and then all of a sudden he'll just show up and just it'll just blow your mind uh, <laughs> the FA Cup goal he scored against Wolves uh, last year is just still one of the most my favorites just the ultimate chef kiss yeah um, he's a he's he's taken he's been a, he's one of those guys also too that feels like they've been around for Ever? Ever. He was playing for Barcelona. Like, and, and he also... Was, he was the La Masia kind of, you know, academy graduate that was coming through and you were all really excited about. And then, you know, it was just on loan perpetually. And I, I, I he's just the guy, I think he's, he's a guy who, he's where he should be. Like, you know, he wasn't, he's not, he's at the bottom of the table. In, in I'm a, just kidding. On a, on a mid-level Premier League team. <laughs> They're not he, at the bottom he needs, anymore. He needs to be, he needs to be kind of the the focal point of the team. He needs to be able to kind of post up on the wing, get the ball, cut back into his right foot. And what you just, mean is that like he's one of those players that that needs a lot of the ball in order to be good? Yeah, and yeah. wasn't going to get that at in at the Barcelonas of the world. Not yeah, even really not even, at the Everton's. Not even, no, yeah, or, or I think he did a stint at Milan too. Like like he's at the level where he needs to be the most important player, the player that you look to when you need when you're in trouble. Because um, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to do a lot of the. Uh, the extracurriculars that are going to help a team win. I mean, he just wants to get the ball and make something happen with his right foot. And he did that and uh, against Arsenal and really should have scored. I mean, it was it got to the point where he was just standing on the outside of the box with Ashley Maitland-Niles and just doing the same move, just just kind of dipping his shoulder and just popping it in on his right foot and just swinging a ball in. And it, it's amazing that he didn't that he didn't get the three points. But he is he's always a player that I've enjoyed. Um, yeah. And still is like 25. I'll quickly close with... My double-click player of the week, Musa Jenepu. It's spelled D-J-E-N-E-P-O, but it's pronounced Jenepu. 21 years old. He plays for Southampton. He scored two goals this season, both game winners. If not game winners, both very important goals late in games. 
very exciting goals. He's kind of, I would say, this year's version maybe of Adama Traore, who broke out last year with Wolves. And the reason why we all love Traore is because whenever he's in the match, whenever he's on the ball, he does something exciting, and that's kind of what Jenna Poo is. Also similar to Traore, who's now playing wingback uh, as opposed to winger. Uh, Jenna Poo has been deployed both as a winger and as a wingback by Hassan Hutto for Southampton. And yeah, he's just like a, when he's on the pitch, he does things with the ball. He's direct, runs forward, he's fast and skilled. And both goals he scored this season really caught the eye. So that's why I suggested him as a double click player of the week. Anyway, guys, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Tony. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, you're welcome for for having me on this podcast. (laughs) We'll see everybody in two weeks. Thank you. Peace. 